Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Tomorrow is opening day. This morning, then I have a great hunt. Deer didn't move like usual. We just got set up in the middle of this bedding thicket. Oh, been saving this spot from the rut. It's a nice, I think it's a nice buck. <laughs> It's a 170. That was money. I think it's down right up there. 10 yards. Woo! Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Bringing you back to the hunt and leaving a legacy. That OG real dream. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. That's right. We're here again. Another week. <laughs> We're not going anywhere. We hope you guys are enjoying because we're in it for the long run. We're going to let the haters eat. Uh, <laughs> here we go. We have Heath Cisco on. Uh, badass deer hunter with a badass name. That's a bad, yeah. That's a sweet name. Uh, shout out, he, shout he, out to him. His Was it his daughter or his granddaughter? I'm not sure. Yeah, just put down an awesome buck. Olivia? Yeah, just yeah. put down an awesome buck. Shout out to her and you, Heath. Way, way to get it done this early in the season. Props to you, man. So um, this episode, we get we dive, we dive deep into a topic that we've acted like we know nothing about because we don't know anything about mm-hmm. the moon. We talk a lot about the moon in this episode, which is was really cool. And we he broke like we were still confused, and then he broke it down again. So big shout out to Heath for coming on. And teaching us something, you know. Uh, he's been hunting a long time. He's been super successful. And you can tell that he knows how to get on these big deer. To uh, to miss a deer and then to get back on them later, that's that's huge, man. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Props to him for putting all that, you know, footage out there. Yeah. And yeah. letting everybody see it and uh, see his up and down year. And props to him again for just sticking with it. Because you know? that's real. You want to see, you don't want some new hunter to 
like, well, this guy missed. Well, then they they can they be like, okay, if I miss, this guy's been hunting this this long and he missed. So that stuff mm-hmm. happens. But when you just show the good stuff, you don't you know people can't relate to that or new hunters or people that might just want to they might have been a shotgun hunter and wanting to get into bow hunting or something you know so right. but yeah um he's from the learning curve guys we had an episode with uh josh josh mcallister um oh, that was an awesome episode too it was um, the learning curves putting out some big stuff this year and i can't wait till the following year when they release this season that whole team's been putting it down from yeah. their facebook page yeah the whole team's been putting it putting it down so we hope you guys enjoy this. Oh, another thing I want to shout out um, that you guys will get to listen to this episode is you will get to listen to ways to keep calm when a buck's coming in or tips that you can do to maybe help beforehand when it, when that fi- when that you know that final ten seconds mm-hmm. that you have to perform comes down to it. So, all right, we're gonna get into the people that make this possible. Let's start out with the VIP veteran. Um, one thing I want to say is. Uh, these broadheads, we've been telling people, you know, we've been chatting them out for almost a year now. Um, they are insane, insanely sharp guys. The, the broadheads are ridiculously sharp. Um, we've had a lot of people call in or that want to call message us or call in and say, Hey, where can I get these broadheads? Uh, so people are hearing about it. I just want to put a good safety message out there about these broadheads. Um, me and homie were shooting the broadheads the other day. I was shooting out to 40 and just smoking them in there. And uh, I pulled pulled it out, you know, and uh, I always keep one practice head. And I was putting it back together, and homie just barely bumped me and put my just barely touched that blade. And, I mean, it cut quarter-inch deep into my my trigger finger, man. Whoops. Into my trigger <laughs> finger. So just be careful with these heads. They are sh- uh, scalpel sharp, uh, sharpest broadheads on the market right now. So. Homie's going to get you with the VIP Veteran Broadhead shout-out. This week's VIP Veteran Broadhead shout-out is Jacob Wade. Uh, last week we had his wife Erin um, as our VIP shout-out. So uh, they are married and both served in the Army. Uh, Jake served for nine years as an active-duty Army engineer with two combat tours. He was medically retired in 2016 and recently graduated with a bachelor's degree in wildlife management and is starting to finally enjoy retirement and getting out there to go hunting. So, uh, Jake, thank you for your service. I hope uh, getting back out there and getting into hunting again um, is everything that you remembered it to be. And uh, we want to salute you, man. Yep. Thank you, man. We appreciate everything that you did from... Homie, me, and the White Tail Legacy Podcast crew. All right, we're going to get into Ingram's Outdoor Obsession. So this is probably going to release on the 17th, we decided. Yeah. So with my track record being the 14th, 15th, I'm probably going to have a buck there already. Or at least one of us will. Yeah, hopefully. So we're, we're recording this a little bit earlier. Uh, homie's up to bat tonight. On the this is the virgin set on a new piece of property. This is like the primo of the primo. <laughs> all you got with a good wind, perfect access. Per- everything's everything's, uh, everything's lining up. Everything's cold perfect, front. Right? Yeah, cold front came in. Everything's perfect. The we only got, thing working against us is a super early October. Yeah, and we're hunting out of a blind. Mm-hmm. Oh, Something we haven't really done. Yeah, just I there's just nowhere to get a stand in, but that's you gotta have a we gotta have a you gotta be there. up there. Yeah, yep. I mean the camera's on fire, so yeah. you gotta be up there. Gotta be there. So, but yep, uh, one of us are probably gonna have a buck there by now. I'm just gonna call it out. Uh, next episode, uh, you guys be able to hear if my 
my <laughs> prediction was true or not. Probably not. Probably not true, but uh, you got to dream big. I'm dreaming big. So uh, check out Ingram Outdoor Obsession on Facebook, Instagram. I'm putting a lot of pics on there, uh, the work that he's been doing. Um, ECW Calls. Homie's got a little stuff, something he wants to touch on ECW Calls here. I'm going to take a drink of cold bush light. <laughs> what was it? ECW calls. Oh yeah, yeah. You're interrupting no, no, my no, beer I, drinking no. time right now. <laughs> I forgot my, I oh, forgot you my forgot idea. Your, yeah. So a couple weeks ago, uh, you had mentioned that you can get a deer's rack onto uh, a grunt tube, which I hadn't even thought of, and it's, it sounds like a badass idea. Um, it's something that I think I'm going to do next year. I'm going to get a call with a, a deer, whether it be a shed or a trail cam pick. Uh, definitely going to get one done up of a deer that I'm hopefully chasing and uh, maybe get a granny man on film with his uh, last year's rack on the call. Yeah, that would have been like you just grunt in chaos. Yeah. When he's like a six-year-old. Right. Just, How sick would yeah, that be? That would be sweet. And he, you're like, yeah, I made this call for you, buddy. <laughs> Too bad he's a deer we just took the yeah, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's probably the deer that's going to be shot by homie tonight. Uh, hopefully, dude, if you shoot chaos, I'm I'm gonna call into work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> right? There ain't. Yeah. We're not even gonna be able to call in. No. <laughs> we're gonna have to text in. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're we're missing someone. Scentlock. We're missing Scentlock. All right, guys. Uh, go ahead. We, we've been we've been hunting early season here. We have the full season tactics and the real tree OG that Cody can't seem to say. So one thing I want to say about it is uh, the ability to maneuver in the suit you know it's not really heavy but it does keep you fairly warm yeah i just had a under armor base layer on in the suit this morning it was 47 yes. degrees 20 mile an hour wind yeah i, I mean we sat till 9 30 mm-hmm. so the the performance of that suit but to still be able to move within the suit you know step over a corn stalk or a down tree limb or through the grass yeah it's not uh, bulky was, and slowing you yeah down. Not, it's not bulky was really surprising to me I really like the fe- like the little details that they have, like the neck zips all the way up. Like you can zip it all the way up. It's not like some just like have a collar, you mm-hmm. know? So on those cold days, you can get that all the way up and then you get your neck gaiter underneath right. that. And then I also really like how like on the inside of the sleeve, they made it to where like there's it's pretty uh, much nothing that would catch your bow, you right. know, if it shot. It's not really bulky and they made it like a... Like a stretching like material. Like an Under Armour type yeah, material. Yeah, like an Under Armour material that like six inches of where yeah. your release, you know, where your your string might hit if you're wearing your some heavy clothing. Another thing I like about it is the back pockets. Yeah. They have, they have a button, yeah. but it's a super easy button. So I put my wallet in there. I'm not messing around with that for 10 minutes trying mm-hmm. to get a button so I know yeah. it ain't going to fall out. The button is super nice on the back. Yeah, that's one thing Scentlock does, man. They they perform in in the scent elimination field but they're they're just quality everything mm-hmm. they have is super high quality just like that bag man that bag is i have so much weight in there right now oh, it's yeah. ridiculous but yeah that's another thing we can talk about we need to make an episode about packing into hunt and how i do it completely wrong <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um i my my pack with all my camera gear and everything i need to take in is 20 plus and yeah, when you're I'm, packing in a long ways that's a lot man like walking out today i was like man yeah. dude i got a lot of stuff in here yeah so all right guys we hope you enjoy this episode um 
we're going to keep hitting you with whitetail knowledge here the, the next couple of weeks. So we hope you enjoy. We hope you learn something. Here we go. Here we go. All right, everybody. We got Heath Cisco online. How you doing tonight, Heath? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Just like we were saying, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, we heard that you're a whitetail killing fool from uh, the learning curve. We're super jacked to have you here to to learn and uh, to pick pick your brain about hunting big mature whitetails. I mean, it's it's season now. We're out hunting, so. I'm the kind of guy that if I'm not hunting, I'm listening to a podcast trying to learn something about hunting. So we can't thank you enough. Well, I appreciate you having me on, and I hope that uh, maybe somebody can pick up something from what I have to say. And who knows, you guys may uh, say a few things as well, and I can pick up from it. So, Awesome. Deal. So Let's go ahead, just introduce yourself, uh, talk about kind of how you started hunting and uh, anything else you want to say. Sure. Well, I grew up in southern Ohio on a, just a rural farm. And uh, started out like most people. Dad was taking me squirrel hunting and rabbit hunting at an early age. And uh, my dad wasn't much of a deer hunter, but my uncle was. And uh, I can't remember, I was probably eight or nine when uh, I got home from squirrel hunting one day. And my uncle said, look in the back of a truck, and there was a buck he'd killed with a bow that morning. And after seeing that buck, it kind of, I guess, it changed my life forever. Uh, I started picking his brain constantly, and then my dad finally got me a bow when I was around 12, and uh, I killed my first buck when I was 13, which it wasn't much of a story, just kind of luck. Uh, the buck just kind of, I guess, ran in front of my arrow, <laughs> lack of a better hunt. I mean, it was just pretty much luck, but started hunting uh, a bunch after that, bow hunting. Didn't have much luck. My dad uh, grew up. When he was younger, there wasn't hardly any deer, so he didn't want me shooting any does. And uh, so I was just targeting bucks, and, you know, I very rarely seen a buck. So I didn't kill another deer for quite a few years, and then, uh, so I didn't get a lot of that kill experience. And then when I did have a buck come in on me, I would always screw it up because I just, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd get buck fever or whatever. It could be a spike, three-point, whatever. So as that went on, I killed a few bucks, and then... Uh, when I was in high school, about my junior year, I met uh, another guy who was as crazy about deer hunting as me, and we started sharing stories. And he was friends with a guy who had killed, I think, six Pope and Youngs at that point in time. And this we're talking like 86, 1986. So killing six Pope and Youngs back in that day was really something. So uh, we started hanging out with him and talking to him, and he basically led us down a path basically showed us how you know that deer use the wind and i didn't pay any attention to wind when i first started hunting and how they use the wind and the best time to hunt them he said basically you had to hunt them the first week or two of november other than that the big bucks never move so from 86 probably till uh, early 2000s that's how i hunted them i hunted the first two weeks of two weeks in november and uh, if it didn't happen then i hunted but i just didn't have much luck and then, let's say, I guess in 1988, I set out to for hunting trophy bucks. Well, I say trophy bucks, meaning something that was made the uh, 125 Pope and Young minimum. And I was lucky enough to uh, hunt a farm that had four potential bucks on it and ended up killing one of them in 1989. I scored 130, around 131 inches. And then since then, I've been just chasing Pope and Young Bucks ever since. <laughs> you ready for the fact of the podcast? 
<laughs> Cody and I weren't even alive in 1988. He's got all this knowledge. He's been hunting longer than we've been alive, man. We gotta soak it up, man. Soak it up. Oh, I, I love when but, when you know Cody and I'll be at work and we'll be talking to some guy who's been doing this job for 34 years, and he'll be like, "Oh yeah, I hired on in '74," and we're like, "Dude, I wasn't even alive for 26 years." <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I'm getting older as the time goes by. So, but like I said, uh, started out hunting, you know, mature, I say mature white tail. The buck I killed in 89 was a three and a half year old buck that just happened to score 131. And I did that hunting, uh, the first two weeks of November, hunting pinch points, uh, funnels, different things like that, no bedding areas. And it was working okay, but it seemed like as much work as I was putting into it, I wasn't getting much out of it. Cause I wasn't killing a buck except every like three years. And you know, when you're targeting, you try to kill something bigger every year, it was tough. So uh, I just thought that's how it was. I mean, you're reading these magazines, you gotta be, uh, you know, I, I took all this stuff in and it just wasn't work. It was working, but it wasn't working for me. I wasn't happy with my results. It was just too much time in between kills. I would get one or two opportunities a year and that would be it. So uh, I wanted to, I was looking for, new ways to change things but you know i was just going along with what i was told and how i was taught so then come along in about 2005 2006 there was a show that uh, come on i can't remember if it was, it was on the outdoor channel sportsman's channel or what and it was called whitetail addictions and it was by the creator of lone wolf andre de Quisto. and after watching that show he's such an aggressive hunter i had to learn everything i could about him and uh, I got these two DVDs called, uh, let's see, a Marsh, I think it's Marsh Hunting Whitetail, and then, uh, what was it, uh, it's a Hill Country Whitetail, I think it was produced by uh, Blood Brothers, and now it's like the Hunting Beast and, let's say, Next Buck. And I watched those videos, and like I said, it completely changed my thought process and how I approached hunting. And it's been that way ever since, so I just keep building on that. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I like you say the uh, one thirty. I mean, and would you say eighty eight? You said eighty nine. Eighty nine. Yeah. I mean, that was that's a that was a big deer back then, wasn't it? I mean, in the one thirty. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that was a giant yeah. deer. I remember my grandpa yep, telling me he uh, he loved deer hunting, but he stopped deer hunting and started coon hunting and stuff because there just wasn't enough game. You know, there just wasn't enough deer around in our area. So he just decided to quit, you know, quit deer hunting, but he had, he had the passion for me, you know, and he'd teach me a little bit, but just like you, it was all the wrong stuff, you know, because that's how he hunted and he was successful a little bit, but he wasn't in it like we're in it, you know, where it's a, you know, obsession and we're trying to target one deer and, but yeah, those old videos, I can only imagine when the, I mean, that, that's probably when they like first started really coming out, huh? Was when you first started watching them? Yes. I mean, yeah. to, to be able uh, to see those hunts and stuff happen, and you know, firsthand like that from the very beginning, I mean, the amount of knowledge that you could obtain would have been insane. Yeah, because it was the, really the first instructional videos, and I still tell people today, they ask me, how do I get to this? How do I learn how you hunt and all this stuff? I said, buy these videos, buy these two videos, and they're the older ones. Not, I think Dan Infall's put out new ones since, but these are the older ones, and I was like, watch these. 
and learn from these guys and you'll start figuring things out differently than what all these other people have told you. And that's what I did. I picked up on it. I put it to work and it's been working for me ever since. I mean, you know, back always before the older videos, like I started watching the juries back when they started putting out monster bucks. And that was back. I mean, that was in the early nineties, I think mid nineties, somewhere around in there. And, uh, it was just kill, 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 and there wasn't much to it. You know, these videos basically go in-depth and explain and just talk about betting, talk about getting tight, talking about being aggressive, and hunting bucks instead of just hunting deer. You know, there's I'm a big excited difference. to watch them. I've, I've never <laughs> seen either of those, so I'm, I'm going to look them up. I'm going to look them up and watch those. I'm sure they're on YouTube or somewhere you can find them. I, I would assume, I know Next Buck still sells them, and uh, the Hunting Beast sells them, but I think Dan completely redone some of them. I like the ones, uh, the original ones, because it has uh, bonus sections in there with Andre DeQuisto, and he goes into great detail on hunting and stuff, and he's just... Yeah, I've, I've heard just insane stuff about him. Like, he's just a mastermind. So. I'm, I'm assuming yeah. you've listened to uh, Dan and Mario on their podcast. Oh, yes, I definitely yeah. do. Yeah, very yep, good, very good information there. Um, Absolutely. One thing that I like to hear you say there, um, you know, you didn't get, you didn't start hunting, you know, the way you're hunting now. Hunting is a transition through time, and you know, I started hunting, um, you know, just shotgun only, and then I got a bow and I started bow hunting like I was shotgun hunting. Not much success because I couldn't get deer close enough to shoot them. But, you know, shotgun hunting was no problem. I could, you know, I could shoot 50 yards, no problem. However, at, you know, 16, 17 years old, I'm not really comfortable shooting a bow that I just got a year ago, you know, at, at 50 yards. So it, it's glad to hear you start out like you did and to see your videos to where you are now knowing that, you know, if I keep... If I keep going at it like I am, if I keep trying to learn, keep reading articles, keep reading magazines, keep listening to podcasts, keep watching videos, and like you said, just listen and pick up on the key factors that you can keep progressing in your deer hunting career. Yes, that is that is a fact, and especially like when you get a – one of my problems was in the beginning was when I did get that buck to come in on me, I would blow the shot. And that was from lack of experience of killing, shooting, let's say, deer. So, and it was one of the things my dad didn't want me shooting does back in the beginning because there wasn't very many deer. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a lot of kills under my belt. And then when I, you know, like when I killed that buck in uh, 89, you know, then when I hunted in 90, let's say I missed one because I blew the shot when it come in. I got the opportunity, but I blew the shot. So what I've picked up on is it's nice to, you know, in Ohio, we get several doe tags every year. And I love eating deer meat, so what better opportunity to go out there and hone my skills a little bit on shooting. And it's the difference of shooting at a spot on the target and shooting at a live animal out in the woods. It's totally different, especially when you're, when you're the buildup of 300-some days for hunting season, the buildup, testosterone, and everything you have to get to that moment. I mean, you, you get so excited, it's, it's like they say buck fever. I mean, I get buck fever bad. I get it today. <laughs> I get it too, man. It. Yeah, I get it too. But like being homie was just talking about that. I was like, this season. I think it's because we've started this podcast, 
and it's it it used to be like I was obsessed with whitetail, but I might do one thing a week. Like I might shoot my bow or I might watch a video, but now it's every day. Every day I'm talking to someone about whitetail. So this season I need to go out there and shoot a couple does and fill my freezer or I feel like when a buck comes in, I'm going to be so jacked up because I've been <laughs> yep. waiting for this moment. You know, I've been waiting in and if it's a couple particular deer that I've been hunting for a couple seasons, then it's even worse, you know, because then you're like, okay, this is it. This is the moment I've been trying for two or three years, you know, to, to accomplish, and it's right here. So it's, well, it's, I get it's just there. like Heath, you know, you'll be able to speak on this better than anybody. I mean, just watching the video that you guys put out, you know, when, when a buck comes in and you shoot and we'll say you miss, which we've all missed. I don't, I don't care who you are. Say you miss. Two minutes after you get settled back down, you're like, man, I, I just hope he circles back in. I'm going to be a lot steadier. And then, you know, I've had one time where it did happen. And just rock solid, you know, because the buck fever is gone because you've already had that first experience. You already you messed know? up once. Yeah, you already like, messed okay. up once. Yeah. So then it happens again, and then you know you know what not to do, really. Yeah. Absolutely. And and you got to get your mind right. And a guy told me that a few years ago. you got to get your mind right when you're hunting. Uh, well, I, I keep referring back to trophy whitetail, but a deer that you're really wanting, let's say no matter if that's a 100-inch buck or no matter if it's a 180, it's all uh, own personal preference and the along with the area you're hunting. You got to get your mind right. You got to you got to understand that I have to I for these 5 seconds I've got to do the right thing. I got to not think about the rack, not think about him uh, uh you know running off. I just, you just got to slow everything down, settle your pin and squeeze. And I like settling my pin and counting to 3 and before I get to 3, I'm about on 2, I'm already squeezing off, holding on the spot. And that's what I didn't do. And like like we talked about before uh, on the new show to come out on the learning curve outdoor web series that uh, guys I work with, I blew it. The first shot on that video, the actual buck dropped about 12 inches and you can see in the video. So I made a decent shot, but I just didn't aim low enough because it was around 33 yards. And I don't know if you guys have watched Bill Winkie's done studies on it somewhere mm -hmm. around 30 yards. These deer, they can, here faster than the air travels and they automatically load their legs up which is dropping to run off and that's exactly what this buck did i mean he was making a scrape he didn't have any clue i was around and he still was able to drop 12 inches before my air got there yeah because he was I quartering away that. hard and you know he walked right by you pretty much and i mean you had pretty much free reign on him and then you release an arrow and he just drops out of nowhere yeah, and you've seen in the video, he didn't have a clue I was anywhere around. No. But when that bow went off, he was loading up and taking out. No, I would have pretty much aimed where you aimed, I mean, if I was in the tree, because it looked spot on. You just don't account for him dropping 12 inches. Sure. And then the second buck that I miss, the one I call Hula Hoop. Oh, uh, Hula Hoop, man. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, that, that was... Uh, I, you could ask my wife. I mean, I still cringe over that one. It's just, it's hard to get opportunities like that. Oh, when man, you blow yeah. them as bad as I did on that buck, it just really hurts. Uh, but I had that buck come in, and basically what I did is I pulled my bow back, and he he came in on me. 
on my right side. I was expecting him to come on the left, and you guys do any video and stuff with the camera arm or whatever. I do all self-video myself. Oh, yeah. props to you, I got, man. I use... I do my. I put my camera on on my right hand side, so he come in on my right hand side behind me, and I couldn't get my camera arm set up and my bow draw back at the same time. So if you see the video, he looked right up at me. I mean, he heard me moving because I bumped the camera arm with my bow, and then he just backed out and he stopped, and I didn't have a shot. And then he was about. And what you guys don't know in the video is. He was on my wind. I mean, my wind was blowing right where he was getting ready to walk. So I rushed. I was thinking in my my head, he's going to win me. He's going to win me. So I rushed my shot. I didn't settle my pin, and I shot right over top of his back. Yeah. It's just Man, that simple. I've been there before. I lost a giant on a bad shot, bad circumstance, rushing the shot like – Okay, this doe just spooked. He's gonna spooked. I gotta send it right now, or it's it's over. You know, what I mean, same situation where you're just you're thinking you're doing the right thing in the moment to make yourself successful, but then you look back, you're like, you know, there's a lot of things I could do different. But just like yep. we said before, <clears throat> props to you for letting him release it, and props to the learning curve for releasing that stuff because that's real to us. We talk about that a lot on the podcast. We relate to realism, and that's exactly what – that's real hunting. I mean, pe- people miss. I've missed. Homies missed. Mm-hmm. We're not afraid to, to talk about it because if there's a new hunter out there that thinks you go out there and just shoot deer and then misses a couple times, he's going to get discouraged if all he sees on TV is just guys just slamming big deer. All he sees is Mark Drury just hammering yeah, buck just after hammering buck. Yeah, just buck I mean, after buck. And then you see <laughs> – You no, seen Mark you, Drury miss, yeah, you know? You see no misses – like you guys are putting out, and then if a a, guy, a newer hunter's seen your video and he's like, well, this guy's been hunting for 30 years, and he just missed. So it happens. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It's part of it. So it's part of it. Huge, you learn from it. Huge props to you and the learning curve Thank you. for putting that Thank out. Thank you. That, that meant a lot to me to see, you know? Great. Well, like I said, we're a web series, so we can do what we want, and that's what we want to do. We want to show it real and how it happened and, 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 and the screw-ups. I mean, because uh, that's what, like you said, that's what people learn from. I learned from that hunt. Unfortunately, I missed that buck, and I get to watch it all the time, and it haunts me still to this day. You got any trail cam pics <laughs> of them this year? Uh, no, this this that that hunt was a couple years ago. Oh, was it? Yeah, oh, and man. he uh, a set of sheds was found off that buck, and uh, we never seen him again. And what's funny is I wasn't in his home range. I was in basically what I would consider his rut range. Uh, he come into that area in that section of oaks on that farm. Every year around the same time, around the end of October, and he would stay there throughout November and towards the end of November, he would disappear again. And he'd done that for three years in a row, and I never targeted him till that year. And and I didn't know if he was going to show or whether he was killed or poached or died from EHD. I didn't know, so that's why I set out to target the long brow pin that I missed in the earlier in the video. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's basically, I mean, like... When I set out each hunting season, like this hunting season, I've got a particular deer in mind that I'm targeting. And that's what I do in all my other seasons as well. I target, I usually try to find the biggest bucket I can find that I have access to hunt. And I hunt that particular deer until there's someone kills him. He disappears completely and the sign dries up, no camera pictures, no sightings. And then I move on to the next. But usually, like I got a buck now, I'm going to concentrate on him until the end of November. If I don't have him by the end of November, or if he disappears before then, if I don't have him by the end of November, I'll switch up 
to another buck and I monitor numerous different areas. And if the conditions aren't right for me to hunt that particular deer, I'll go maybe step back and observe on another farm, scout another area, always try to stay a couple steps ahead of the game for other deer because you just don't know when this one's going to disappear or somebody else get him or whatever. So you, well, you got to have several in the bag going into the season saying, okay, if this doesn't work out, I can go mm-hmm. after that one. If that doesn't work out, I can go after this one. If not, you're going to be struggling as soon as something happens to your number one target buck. So that's what I do. Yeah. yeah. Always nice to have the ones in your back pocket. Always have them. <laughs> always have the ones like, man, this would be a really great buck to shoot. I'd be super happy, but I'd be way more happy with this <laughs> buck, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of how we play it. We got, we got two bucks in mind right now that are, they're mega huge. They'd be our biggest bucks by far. Um, by, probably by 30 inches. <laughs> yeah. So, I yeah. mean, yeah, so we got them too, and then we got a bunch of uh, the 140, 150 class that if they step out, they're going to they're gonna get it too. We're, I would tell a lot of people, I'm at that stage right now where I'm really happy with a, a 140, 150 class buck with a bow. Super, super that's stoked a, with that. So That's a great deer. I'm, uh, sure great I'll deer get, I'm sure I'll get past that over the years, you know, of hunting. But I'm not ashamed that if if a a buck that I don't know that maybe three and a half that's one forty one fifty I'm yeah. I'm gonna shoot that deer oh, yeah. you know so that's sure, just where well, I'm you're, at. You're crazy not to yeah, yeah. <laughs> to each their own. I mean, yeah, a lot know, of people would look down on me for yeah, saying yeah. that you know they just they well that's a three and a half year old he would have been huge next year. Well, I hunt a twenty five acre piece <laughs> well, a lot of times you know in one spot is that buck gonna be on my property next year? I have no idea. I've never had a buck where I'm like, oh yeah, he's patterned. He's I had one deer that was like that, and then I messed up on him. I shot him in the rut, luckily. But other than that, I've never had a deer that I was just like, oh yeah, I feel really confident about this buck, you know. So I don't, I don't get that. So if that happens, I'm, I'm all over it. Sure, and you got to put everything, everything into perspective. If you don't have a lot of properties, and you don't have a lot of quality bucks, and you just hunt the biggest buck you can hunt, if that's what you're after instead of just maybe a deer or whatever some of these people in down south i mean 110 inches a like a 160 in ohio you know i mean yeah it's all just uh and i know some great hunters from down south that you know you look at their wall and you're like man they only got 130s or biggest heads but they're killing them in places where they're just there aren't even 130s you know what i mean it was a kind of a freak of nature so. mm-hmm. yeah yeah we got some buddies in I'm, georgia and, and down south texas and mississippi and you know, they're like 110 as a giant. And I'm like, I want you to come up here in Illinois and I will set you in a stand and I'll put you on a 110 inch buck. I guarantee you. <laughs> I could do that all, all, every day in the rut. What day you want to come? Just yeah. name it. I'll put you on a 110, you know, but it's just a different, different area. And it's different. But like I said, they got free reign to come up here because if I hunted down there and that was a 130 was the biggest deer, I'd be just tickled to death to shoot a 130. You know what I mean? So it's just absolutely all based on where you're at. And like you said, hunt the biggest deer you can hunt. And if you accomplish that, then that's a huge goal. If you kill the biggest deer yes. on your property, whether it's a two and a half year old or if it's a five and a half year old, you that's a huge that's a huge accomplishment in my eyes. Sure, I, I completely agree. And uh, like I said, I have several properties I hunt. I go out of I try to go out of state every year, but you know, if 150 is the biggest thing, I mean, I've killed a lot of good deer, and if 150 is the biggest thing I could find, that's what I have to hunt. I may, I may keep searching everywhere else and trying to locate bigger ones, but, I mean, that's just what I have to go after. It is what it is. 
Well, Heath, I want to get back to something that you brought up here a few minutes ago is getting your mind right for the shot. Um, I know Cody and I, we, I mean, we both worked together and I know last year we, we, we didn't even have a podcast at this point last year, but Cody come to me and he's like, Hey man, are you ready for season? And I said, yeah, you know, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm ready for the grind. And by the grind, I mean, you go, I, I took a week of vacation late October, you know, I'm ready to go hunting and see, you know, maybe five does or see one buck or two bucks. So one thing that has gotten me into that mind frame is I get in shape right before season. And that's what prepares me mentally to endure the grind of not seeing deer, but still being able to get up every morning and go hunting and endure the the slowness at times, you know. You know, some people be like, oh, well, you're coming off the October low, you're not going to see anything. Well, then, you know, we're getting into pre-rut or whatever. But what what gets you into the right mind going into the season? What what, what are some things that you do? Sure. Well, there's uh, several things that you just mentioned. Getting in the right mindset for hunting season and getting in the right mindset for the shot. I guess I classify those as two different things. Right. Getting in the right mindset for hunting season is, I set my goal on it. Usually it comes off of what I seen last year or what I have trail camera pictures of this year and me getting older. I mean, I got to, I got to get in shape too. I try to stay in great shape because it, it becomes a grind of getting up early, you know, going to your stand, hunting, scouting, uh, moving around, moving stands and then hunting and getting home late. And, you know, you, you got to balance you know, family and everything else. <laughs> right. But, uh, you, you just mentally you're going to be exhausted, but you got to keep pushing, but you got to peak at certain times. In my opinion, me, I like starting out slow in the beginning of the season. Then I, I start building up and then around the 20th of October, I'm, I want to be primed up. I want to be right there in it. And I want to be on top of the buck that I'm after. And I want to try to take him between somewhere around October 20th. It depends on what the opportunities are. October the 20th, to around the first of November, and then around in November, I mean, I some people think I'm crazy for saying this. I hate hunting the rut. It's fun, but I'm a I hunt one particular buck in my home state, and that buck could be two miles away in a ditch with a doe <laughs> for three or four days, and and I'm out there. I feel like I'm wasting my time. So I hate hunting the rut. I want to hunt him mid to late October before he gets that rut urge and heads out another farm, two farms over or whatever. So I want to, I want to be completely prepared shape wise, stand wise, all this stuff by around October the 20th. Now I've killed deer earlier. It doesn't happen every year, but it just depends on what's happening. Like this year, it's going to be tough because we have so many acorns. So food is everywhere. So I know that it's going to be tough to get on a particular buck because they're just everywhere. I mean, they could be anywhere. So, and then like in November when I go out of town, it's just, that's all I do is hunt. You know, I call my family at night. I hunt, get up in the morning. I hunt. I may get down and scout. Usually I don't because it's November and I'm hunting pinches and <laughs> normal rut hunts, uh, doe bedding areas, pinch points, travel corridors, stuff like that. And then when I get back from my out-of-state hunt, usually 
late November. I try to hit it again around thanks. Uh, well, when I get back around the 18th, somewhere around there to Thanksgiving, I hit it pretty hard. And then during uh, our gun season comes in uh, the first Monday after Thanksgiving. So I kind of lay back. And then I, it's mainly an evening game after that for me uh, through December and January if I'm still holding the tag. So that's, I guess, preparing for season. But I'm always doing stuff. I'm always running mineral licks, running cameras, uh, trying to stay in shape the best I can. Then when we were talking about the mental thing for the shot, it's basically when you have that buck that you've been anticipating and wanting for the last three or four months, let's say it's six months because you've been looking at, looking forward to shooting him since last season, let's say, or whatever. And he comes in, all that anticipation is built up. And me, I'm sure it happens with a lot of other people, you know, I get really excited and I could possibly blow my opportunity. So what I do is I try to think of it as more like a job. Let's say it's, I come in here to get it done. I didn't come in here to get all tore up and all this stuff and just see the buck. I come in here to kill it. So I get in the killer mindset. If I'm taking this deer. He just has to give me an opportunity. When he does give me that opportunity, I bury the pin. And like I said, I usually count two to three and I release it. And then after that happens, you know, I let everything go. I, you know, that's when I, I start getting excited. The buck river comes on and all that stuff. Because I still get jacked up. <laughs> uh, I mean, as much, if not more than anyone. So, But before that moment happens, I make sure it's all business until it happens, until I pull that, uh, put that shot on that deer. Then after that, then we can celebrate, do whatever. So, Yeah, a lot of people like to say, you know, uh, they'll stop hunting when they get that buck fever, but... From your videos, man, I don't think you're ever going to stop because you get that buck fever every time. <laughs> Absolutely. It's it's all part of it. I mean, that's that's why we do it. We're looking for that three to four second adrenaline rush. It's something else. I wish it lasted longer. What'd you say again? I said I wish it lasted longer. <laughs> well, you get to, I get to kick back in the uh, easy chair and look at them on the wall and just, uh, replay all the hunts and now you know since i've been videoing uh all self-videoing all my hunts now it's i get to replay and so it's very nice yeah that is super cool um you know just to relate where I, where i'm coming from on getting your mind right um losing weight's not easy you have a, you have bad days you have good days and it, it's the same in hunting you have good days you have bad days especially when you take a week off you know you see a lot of deer moving I mean, you think they're going to be moving over here and you, you, you make that move and then they don't and you have to kind of regroup yourself and, you know, find the, find the tenacity to keep going. So I, yeah, I like but, how, I like how you use the word kill, you know, um, we're not out there to do a beautiful thing. We're out there to kill these deer. And, um, uh, is that, is that something that you've always used or is that something new? Well, I mean, I've, I've, I've blew so many shots over the years. I had to, I, I have to keep, I had to keep honing that. So I would put in all this time and effort and blow the opportunity. And I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I out here if I can't make it happen on that last three or four seconds? So I got into mind. I, I just got ingrained in my mind. I'm out here. Every time I go, I anticipate 
that I'm going to kill that deer. It's going to happen. I, you have to be on your toes and be prepared. I don't know how many times me and other people have sat out there and just next thing you know, they're lollygagging around, screwing around on their phone, and the deer appears, and you're not ready. You have to be in the mindset that it's going to happen, and you better be prepared. And I'm out there to kill it. I mean, that's what I'm doing. I'm out here to kill a particular buck, and that's what I'm doing. And that's what I have in my mindset now. <clears throat> I know that as well, you know, some deer have, let's say, a sixth sense, and they can sense danger. So I'm, I'm, I'm borderline on that. You know what I mean? I want to be, I want to have the killer instinct, but then again, I don't want to be so jacked up to where, you know, I could send off, let's say, bad vibes or brain waves or whatever you want to call it. I mean, I'm a little uh, on edge about that stuff because I do believe that they do have a sixth sense. So, I mean, it's just like, uh, you know, a dog can tell when you're upset. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, they can, they can read that on you, and I don't want to portray that, but. I'm out there for a job. I'm going, I'm, I'm out there to get that job done. And that job is to kill that deer. Yeah. We love, we like, we like when people say that because that's what we do, you know, don't sugarcoat it. We're out there. This is what we do. We feed our family with this meat. This is our passion. And, uh, just like you, we can, t I could tell that I, we and you could talk for hours cause we're in, we're into it. You know, we're, we want to go deep. We want to learn. And one thing that you want to talk about, when you, you know, brought it up, I said, what's some stuff you want to talk about? I was super jacked when you said moon, because I don't know how many episodes <laughs> me and homie have looked like, you know, just like we don't Fools. know anything about hunting because we know nothing about the moon. We, I mean, we can, I've listened to, you know, Mark and Terry Drury talk about it, but I'm still confused on it. So I really want to dig your mind on it a little bit and see what a normal guy who's not maybe have the ground that the juries have has seen the moon do and affecting us hunting wise. Gotcha. Well, I got, uh, basically introduced to the moon. Well, through fishing, basically. I mean, you know, I used, uh, uh, the moon times and stuff as in the old farmer's almanac for fishing, uh, a great, uh, let's say great times for fishing. And that kind of was pretty good, but you know, it was still weather dependent. And then, uh, way back, day, I can't remember when it was, Jeff Murray had come out with the moon, uh, Moonbeams, I think was the book. And he had uh, Miles Keller in it. And everybody in the hunting industry knows Miles Keller. I mean, Miles Keller was killing big deer back when, you know, I was a baby even. Uh, so I was real curious about reading up on Miles Keller. So I got this Moonbeams book and I started reading about it. And then I started buying the Moon Guide. And now uh, Jeff Murray has since passed, and Adam Hayes picked it up, and he's selling it now. And I, tr I listened, I watched it a little bit, I paid attention, comparing it to how I was hunting and stuff, but I didn't really know a lot about it, I didn't really understand it. And then, like I said, back in, well, in 2006, it all comes back to when White Tail Addictions comes out, and Andre DeQuisto was talking about how the moon guide is so spot on. And he talked about how hunting the moon times and when he was killing certain deer and he basically and what i was confused about he said if it's if the moon guide says the deer are feeding in the morning you need to hunt their bed and because they're out in the fields and they're going to be coming back to their bed late so it all started you know started making a little bit of sense and i started comparing it i still hunt all the time but i don't have my really 
good spots or get really aggressive unless the moon tells me I should get aggressive. If that makes any sense. Yeah, Zach, direct, you know, sense. I, I've looked at the moon guy multiple times and oh, I've almost bit on it, you know, but I'm just like, my, my big thing is I, I don't, I guess I don't understand it enough to bite on it. You know what I mean? I know they tried, like I've seen the commercial effort and stuff, you know, multiple times, but I'm still confused on exactly what it does. So you're sure. saying if the moon is rising, hunt their beds, is that what you said? Well, I I said if the, if the moon times say they're going to be seeding, in the morning, we're talking about the first couple hours of daylight. You need the deer are going to be up on their feet and they're going to be farther away from their bed. That means they're going to be getting back to their beds after daylight. Okay. I see. So in that case, you have a better chance of if you're hunting a bedding area, not going in there an hour before daylight and blowing deer out of the bedding area because they're already beat you back there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Have them feeding in the morning. They're still out in the crop fields or the edge of the fields or whatever feeding. So you can slip into them bedding areas if you already have everything pre-hung and all that good stuff and get away with getting in there and then them working their way back in, let's say, a half an hour after daylight, hour or two after daylight. Does that make sense? Yeah. A lot of times if the moon, if the moon says that they're bedded, if they're bedded, well, then you can't go into a bedding area, huh, because they're already there. So you're yeah. just going to blow them out of there when you go in. Okay. So looking at the moon dial, basically – well, this is what I do. I mean, I like the moon dial that Adam Hayes puts out now. Because just it, to me, it's it's simple and it takes out all the legwork of me looking at different moon charts and all that crap. So basically, what I do is I look at it, and on the outside of the dial is red moon days, as Adam calls them, the red moon. Those are the days that the deer will be more active a couple hours in the morning or a couple hours in the evening. So basically, that's when the moon is going to be overhead towards the evening hours when we'll be hunting or towards the morning hours when we would be hunting and, you know, maximum deer activity would be taking place. And if you look at the times, the times, basically, the red times is when the moon's overhead and the black times is when the moon's underfoot. Now, they always said that the best times for deer movement is when the moon is overhead. So it's the red times on that dial. And if you can get those red times, look at them certain days, when it's towards the evening, let's say the last couple hours of daylight, or the first couple hours in the morning, that's when you're going to have maximum deer activity per the moon. Now, the weather and everything else affects this. So I think a lot of times people take this moon dial and they say, oh, it doesn't work. Well, most of the time they're hunting in the wrong spots for it to work. Or... They're hunting, or a weather front came through, and it screwed up the whole moon dial in the first place, so you can just throw that out the window for that day or that time period. Because the weather is, the moon dial is great, but weather will trump the moon at any point in time. It depends on what type of front it is. I see. So, weather before, yeah, I've always heard weather, wind, direction, then moon, is what I've always heard, you know, but. So, I, so I look at several things. You know, I look, I look at the moon. I mainly look at the moon, but if I got a weather front that comes through, I'm jumping on that weather front and I'm not saying I'm hunting before the front because hunting before a front is tough because a lot of times the deer know it way before you do. 
and they're up and moving by the time you get in there to hunt if you're trying to catch it before the front. So I like trying, I can be, hunt, get more consistent movement and stuff if I hunt after a front. Let's say if, uh, if a storm breaks at noon, uh, that evening, you know, if it rained all morning and up into the afternoon, if that storm breaks at noon and the moon dial tells me it's going to be great evening activity and the moon, and the storm just broke at noon, that oh. evening's going to be red hot. Yeah, sign me up. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's the same way for a morning. If that storm breaks, let's say an hour or two or three hours after dark, and the next day is supposed to be, you know, a nice, clear day, and the wind direction has already changed, you know, from, from the storm front back to where it was normally, and the moon dial says they're going to be out feeding in the morning, you, you can jump in and hunt your best spot. Closer, you're going to be able to get in there ahead of the deer, and you're going to catch that movement. Yeah, thanks for thanks for breaking that down for me. I understand it a lot better from you saying that than I have watching the videos. You know, I wasn't thinking I wasn't thinking that hunting the beds is what they were doing. I was thinking it was just hunting in general, but hunting the beds makes a lot more sense because if those deer are going to be up moving later in the day, you could get in there. Right. You know. So well, you saying that helped me out a lot, you know. Well, basically when you're hunting a big buck, basically uh, like early season or whatever, they're going to be getting back to their beds way before daylight. You can go in there and try to hunt that bedding area or try to hunt these uh, staging areas or whatever, or the areas that are traveling in between feed and bed, try to hunt that. A lot of times they're already past you before it ever gets daylight. <clears throat> and I'm not saying jump in and hunt the beds. I'm, I'm saying that at certain time periods, but maybe not right off the bat. So you'll go in and hunt and you'll think, oh, the morning was dead. Well, you was too far away from where they was actually bedding to see the movement because, let's say, the moon time was bad, and they had already come past that area, let's say, and made it into that bedding area, maybe 100 to 200 yards from their actual bed before it even got daylight. The same way in the evening, if the moon time, let's say, isn't good and there's no weather front coming through, well, that buck will get up out of his bed and he may only move 50 to 80 yards from his bed. And let's say you're hunting 250 yards off, maybe 500 yards off on the edge of this food source where he's coming to. Well, you think the movement was dead because he never got there. But if he is triggered, let's say if the, if the moon says that they're going to be moving great that evening, it's a red moon, the moon's going to be overhead, let's say it gets started at 7 o'clock, the moon's going to be overhead at 6 you could still hunt that field edge and not see him. But he, instead of traveling 80 to 100 yards from his bed, he probably traveled 200 to 250 yards from his bed because of the moon was, let's say, pushing him, giving, making him get up earlier, making him be more active. But still, you could be sitting along the edge of that field and think, well, heck, the movement was crap. You're just hunting the wrong spot. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense, perfect sense. So, because I mean, I don't, I don't hunt the beds a lot, but I do at times. But I do it when the time is right. Now, it could be a crappy moon phase, but the weather front broke late at night, so I could jump in and hunt that bed. You know, it, it bedding area, let's say, uh, and catch that movement coming back in. But if I just go in there nonchalantly, not paying attention to the moon or the weather, I'm probably going to go in there and blow him out, even if I go in there an hour early, because he already made it back. Yeah. So how, 
how do you play with uh, barometric pressure and the moon? Well, barometric pressure, uh, just basically high pressure days. I used to, I mean, and this was from hunting and hunting and screwing up and not having any luck and all the stuff. Used to back in my earlier days, I loved hunting overcast days. I thought they were great. In my my mind, I thought the deer thought that it was getting darker or wasn't getting light yet, and they would be moving more. And I would go out and hunt these overcast, dreary days, low barometric pressure, and not have much luck at all. And I would just be disappointed. I'm like, what's going on? What what am I doing wrong? What I found later is that in October, some of these dreary days, you still have great deer movement. But when you get into November, and you're still going to, the rut's going to affect everything, whatever. You're going to November, December, and I hunt a lot in January. Those deer, unless it's a real nasty cold snap, they don't move that well. They're kind of drowsy or whatever on those overcast days is what I've seen. And by looking at what Mark Dury's writing and talking about and all this stuff, everybody else has seen the same thing. When you go out on these bright, sunny days, it's high pressure. After, let's say, a storm, it seems like every, the deer are in a great mood. It's like going into town, you know, back when I was a teenager, and, you know, your first warm 80-degree day, you got people running around everywhere. Yeah. It just makes uh, it makes humans get in a great mood, and I think it does the same thing for deer. Yeah, they get that warm, that that sun on them, you know, they're a little warmer in their beds, probably getting more sun on them. Makes them want to get up and move a little bit. They got a little bit less stress on them. Man, I'm learning yeah, a lot just, from you. Thanks, thanks yeah. a lot for coming on, dude. This is awesome. I'm, this is one that I'm going to have to listen to like three times to absorb everything. <laughs> I already know. So, Well, you may listen to it a couple times and think, wait, he's all screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, like I said. I'm that, just saying what works for me, and I compare it to – what other I, I listen to what Mark Dury has to say, and and several of these other people, and I just compare it to my sightings and stuff, and 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 I it goes along with what what he's saying, like the pressure days back in back twenty years ago, I hunted all the dreary overcast days with low pressure, and it just wasn't working out for me. Now the high pressure days and stuff are working out a lot more, and especially using the moon, and in coinciding with weather fronts, you get a stagnant period that the weather doesn't change for a while, the only thing you really have to go off of is the moon because nothing, the deer get in like kind of a routine and a lot of times they're just laying on their belly. You use the moon to actually get in tighter to these areas and try to catch them moving away from their bed or back to their beds. And then if you get a weather front coming through, that changes the game completely. Just for instance, in 2013 when I went out to Iowa, uh, me and Josh McAllister, who you uh, podcast before, we went out there. We got out there around October the 30th, and it was dead. You didn't see a rub along the edge of the field. It was just like there wasn't no bucks, but it hadn't rained for almost a month and a half to two months. On the 1st, they had a rainstorm come through, and it rained for like a day. And it was right after that rain was getting ready to quit. It seemed like these deer come out of the woodwork. I mean, there was bucks running everywhere, and they weren't out there running those. They were just in a great mood, I mean, because they'd been in a stagnant weather stage for like a month and a half, and it was hot. This brought in colder temperatures and moisture that they hadn't had because the ground was like dust. And we had some great hunts 
for the next, uh, well, Josh ended up killing one, I think, the day after the front. And uh, mine uh, was like two days after the front. Nice. Yeah, I'd never thought about that. So, you know, in November, if you're having just a normal everyday November days and then you, you know, it's as cold, it's cold, or even in December, and then you have that little warm up, you know, of 10, 15 degrees, it might be worth going out and try to try to get on a buck. Because I'm always thinking, you know, all the cold weather's got to get them moving. And you think, well, it's a little warmer today. They're probably just going to bed up. You know what I mean? But that warmer weather, you know, I'm thinking it's warmer so they don't need to get up. You know what I mean? But maybe that little bit of sure. warmer weather gets them up. Yeah, one one thing he talks about is just variance from average. You know, even if it's warmer during the late season, not, not early. But, yeah. you know, if it's warmer during the late season than it is, you know, just – at normal, because if it's if it's been twenty degrees for ten days, they're just going to be into whatever they're doing. But if it comes into forty five, then it's going to be different. And it could mm-hmm. be better. Sure, and like I said, last November uh, we had you know at least average temperatures, if not below average, warm temp or cold temperatures. And it, in my opinion, it made for a great rut. And also the the full moon was around. You know, I mean, it was I don't know what it was. It was somewhere around the beginning of November, first week or so in November, and it seems like the deer moved a lot better. And uh, I never killed one in November, but I had some uh, good opportunities, passed up a couple of nice bucks. So uh, it was good movement, good weather. Uh, but my problem was in Illinois last year when I was hunting, uh, we didn't have any weather fronts. We just had that cool temperature, and it was north winds. And this farm I was hunting was set up for south winds, and it just put the screws to me. I couldn't hunt my – the the – stand places that I wanted to hunt and it was like a week of north winds and I like it to change uh that way it gives me more opportunity to take advantage of uh buck movement so but it's November and anything can happen so you still got to be out there Mm -hmm. did you do anything for the 2016 supermoon oh 2015 uh maybe that maybe that's what, whenever the last supermoon was because I, I went hunting i was off a week a whole week for that and it just yep. was not it wasn't very good where i was hunting at yeah and i didn't uh and i know what you're talking about i didn't like i said i, I didn't notice anything different than normal now the supermoon i don't know uh, I, I didn't notice anything different than normal I would say they were calling for gangbusters during that thing. <laughs> I mean, I had a shadow walking into the stand, you know. I'm like, oh, man, this better be good. You know, I mean, it looked like I could reach up in the sky and touch the moon walking to the stand. And, you know, it, where I was at, it just, I mean, they they might have been locked down for about the first three days of it. And then the rest of it was just kind of normal. I didn't, I didn't see nothing too crazy from the last super moon that we had. Sure. Sure. And like I said, it all depends on, too, where you're hunting. I mean, especially if you're hunting during the rut, they could be over one ridge and there's 20 deer running around, and you could be sitting there in the dead zone and not nothing. And, and then you look at the moon guide and say, well, why wouldn't – I didn't see anything. It's, this thing ain't – this thing's a piece of crap. It's not working. <laughs> well, it's the rut, and you're just in the wrong spot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just it's, – it's like luck of the draw. And like I said, I hate hunting the rut unless I'm out of state. If I'm out of state, I don't have a particular deer I'm after. I know how to hunt pinch points, stow bedding areas, and stuff like that. And I just take advantage of bucks traveling, moving from farm to farm, and trying to kill a good solid deer. In my home state, you know, the rut, I just I dread it. I, I love the end of October, 
but I dread when it starts <laughs> getting around the fourth and fifth. It's just because I know the bucket I'm after. If I haven't gotten killed by them, who knows where in the heck it's going to be. Right. And I mean, I remember hunting that week and having a, having a tough three days, but after, after them three days, it just seemed like the light switch was kicked. I wasn't in the stand 10 minutes and I had a, had a nice buck chasing a doe right out in the middle of the field, and then the rest of the afternoon was just on fire. And then the next couple of days, it just seemed to to keep up the activity. So, I was just wondering if you, if you had seen anything where you were at. I, like I said, I move around a lot uh, hunting, and uh, in in November especially, uh, you just got to scout and move around, and it can be some lonely hours on stands. You know, if you're in the right spot, you just got to put the time in. And that's why I like, like I said, I like hunting in October and December and January because the deer are on a routine pattern normally. And, uh, and by moving around, scouting and hunting different spots and hunting deer sign, you can get on deer a lot easier and better. And then using, once you find that sign, you can either jump in there and hunt it or you can, you know, set back just a little bit and tell either the weather or the moon tells you they're going to be moving that evening and then jump in there and take advantage of it. Right on, man. This is some super solid <laughs> intel. So I know you're really big on hunting one deer, and I'm sure we could have a whole podcast on this, but we're getting into the hour mark here. So if you could just give us some some baseline pointers of hunting one particular deer and how you accomplish this, what what would you say are your keys to success on that? Oh, just being persistent, I guess, <laughs> uh, and passing other deer. And like like uh, several of the bucks that I've killed, uh, some of them I passed up before I actually killed them. Uh, let's say, for instance, on one farm I had, it's a small farm. Uh, I had two bucks that frequented that farm. One of them was in the you know mid seven, 170 inch range, and the other one was uh, mid 160s. Well, I was hunting that mid 70 range buck, and I ended up passing up the mid 60s because I'm after that, you know one in the 170s. So, but I was kind of limited because of the acreage I was on. The, the deer weren't staying on my farm, so basically I had to hunt the outskirts of my farm trying to catch him coming onto it. So it was tough because you got to be disciplined enough to stick with your target buck. But I hunted that buck, and in November I had four, at the end of October, beginning of November, I had four encounters with it. And then that thing disappeared off the face of the earth around November the 6th, 7th. And I hunted him until the end of the month, and in that meantime I passed up that other buck that was in the mid-160s. And when I finally got in my head, you know, it was pushing December the 1st, that that buck was gone, then I decided, okay, I got to switch gears and I'm going after this other buck. And I already knew by hunting that farm on where this other buck's travel routes and stuff were and what he was doing. So uh, when the weather was right, we had a snowstorm coming in that night. And uh, I jumped in there and took advantage of it and killed the buck on the first hunt, first set. So that worked out great. Uh, but like I said, most of the bucks that I've killed over the years that I'm hunting, I have a history with. Let's say I find a set of sheds off of them. I have pictures of them for one or two years in a row, and I decide that that's my target buck. And and I know from past on what his kind of habits were, but doesn't mean they're going to change. They're, they're not going to change because as the buck gets older, you know things 
things change. Uh, it's just like uh, I like referring them back to, uh, you know, a person growing up. You know, back when I was, you know, back a buck when they're a year and a half, two and a half years old, they're about like a 14 or 15 year old. They're just running around crazy, doing all kinds of stuff. They're kind of scattered. Uh, when you get to be about three and a half or whatever, they're more like a 21 year old. You know, they're running, looking for all the ladies and all the stuff. They're just running everywhere. You can get pictures of them everywhere. When they turn four and a half, they kind of settle down a little bit, about like an adult does when they're maybe in their 30s. But then when they get five and a half to six and a half year old, they don't run after the women like they do. They kind of sit back and get one or two or whatever, and they don't move as much. And their home range shrinks. So you got to be able to, you got to get right in there on top of them to locate them and kill them. So, uh, you know, if you're hunting a, let's say, 300-acre farm, uh, there may only be, uh, if you're hunting a five-, six-year-old buck, there may only be a 40-acre place where that thing spends his daylight hours. And if you're hunting on the outskirts of that and different places like that, you may never see him except during the rut. So. so I want to pick your brain about something. I got a buck I've been chasing for three years. Um, he is, I think he's six-and-a-half, uh, at least five and a half. Um, last year, he may be older. I don't know. I just know I got three years of trail cam pictures of him. Last year, found both of his sheds. He had a bunch of stuff broke off. Um, I gave him a 16-inch spread. He's way wider than that, but he, he would have been in the 174 range last year. So that would that would be my biggest buck by far. So what happens with him is the last three years, I've had him in velvet. He's been there. Then he's left, and then I get him the 20th through the 30th of November. He's coming back for like a late rut maybe in, in my area. So do you think, I mean, you? and I finally noticed last year, and then he'll stay for, you know, the first part of December. Do you, th- do you think that I, even though he is a little older, that he should be more patternable now to follow that same schedule? Or do you think now that maybe his home range shrunk anymore and he might not come back for that late rut, December, early December period? Well, uh, it sounds like from what I'm getting from what you're telling me is that the buck definitely doesn't live on your place. He stays somewhere else and he just frequents your place on certain dates. Me, what I would bank on is, okay, where have I seen him at in the past and why is he traveling that area on this place at, you know, later part of the rut? And then I would, <clears throat> I would, I can't necessarily say I would just target that buck, but I would target other bucks on farms that are more huntable that I have basically control of, you know, their home range, let's say. But then when it got to later on in November, let's say on the date that you have had pictures of him in the past, I would jump in there and concentrate and hunt that area for him that specific time frame. Yeah, because I think when that's, he's, yeah. Yeah, because when he's living somewhere else, you don't have no control of that. And like I said, I hunt the, the biggest buck, the biggest buck I can find that's huntable. I mean, it's hard for me to hunt a buck that I don't, I mean, I don't have access to where he he lives. I mean, it's just a uh, women of prayer. I mean, what are you just hoping that he crosses the fence one day and comes over there? I mean, you know, it's, yeah, it's just tough. So you got to hunt a huntable buck. Now, if I was you, I would look hunt maybe other deer, but during that time frame, I would jump over there and hunt that specific buck in that area. 
That's some great and, advice, and something man. Could, yeah, something could change. I mean, the, a lot of times these older deer, they get their butts kicked by these four-and-a-half-year-old, three-and-a-half, four-and-a-half-year-old bucks, and they move their home range just all of a sudden, you know. Uh, you know, they stayed over here on this farm for, you know, the first four or five years of their life, and they've been the dominant buck over there the last year or two. Well, then you got a scrappy, you know, five, four-and-a-half, five-and-a-half-year-old, 130-inch junk buck that runs their butt off. And he could end up relocating over on your farm. No. And by scouting your farm and running cameras, you'll know if he pops up. You know what I mean? But if not, and you're wanting to target that buck, then I would just uh, I would kind of leave that area alone, maybe run some cameras, scout just a little bit, and then jump over there when it's shown the last couple of years when he's shown up. Because usually they're pretty consistent when they show up. In the same kind of time frame. Okay, man, I'm I'm jacked about this. Too. I'm, tell, I'm telling homie, I'm game planning for like first week of December right now. Like I got I got some off the wall weird tactics that I'm going to throw at this deer, but I can't I cannot kill him. I've tried I've tried the normal stuff, you know. And mm-hmm. that this year is possibly the la- probably the last year I'm going to be able to hunt this piece of ground because it's going to sell. I'm not going to be able to gotcha. lease it, so I'm going to go kind of a little crazy and mm-hmm. i'm either gonna blow it or i'm gonna succeed but um, wouldn't you rather blow it i'd I mean, rather i'd rather blow it than just rather, nothing I'd i mean rather, obviously yeah. you want to succeed but wouldn't you just rather be i'd rather in not there hunt safe or i'd rather hunt and you know not hunt safe and then I, if i just hunt safe like i did last year and never see him and never see him i'd be like well that was a waste you know when i could have done all this other so right now you're taking like him blowing yeah i'm taking okay. like i'm taking like him like me getting in there. And, you do something radical. Yeah. You get, you see him, and then he blows. Like yeah. Well, I, mean, I don't know. Like, if well, I don't know. I'm still gonna have the wind. Yeah. But I'm gonna be hunting in some places that I've never hunted before. Right. You know, and maybe closer to him. I know. I feel like I have a very good idea where he's bedding in December. Like I think I got him pegged. Like. Gotcha. I think he's switching his bedding area after the rut, and he's coming back, and he's bedding, literally bedding in like this 10 acre piece of grass and timber and i got i don't even know how many days of trail cam pictures i got of him right after dark i mean right after dark and he's going the same direction and if i would have noticed it last year and i but i was always like i don't want to pull cams i don't want to pull cams i want to you know but if i went in there and pulled cams i could have killed him last year but, That's why you need a cell cam. Yeah, I got I got a couple. I got a couple now. <laughs> I got a couple well, now. Let's not even get sure. into that. Yeah. Yeah. And you can take you could take complete advantage of that if you know where he's bedding at and you pretty much you understand where he's headed, so you know where he's feeding at. Use these weather fronts and moon times to jump in there and take complete advantage of. But try to take you know, your first time in, as they always said, the Virgin said is the greatest thing ever. Make sure when you go in there, you don't go in there to see him. You go in there to kill him. Yeah. So make sure you're set up right and and get it done when you're in there. So one one other topic about this buck before we move on because I'm <laughs> obsessed with I call him Mr. Freeze because I've set in a tree stand because late season is the only time I can kill this deer. And you've hunted Illinois in late season. It gets cold up here, man. It gets nasty. The wind blows and I have froze my butt off for this buck. So last year he was real active on scrapes. I got pictures of him with scrapes, and he was busted off a lot of, you know, he brought he busted off uh, his G4, a bunch of kickers, 
Um, one brow or two brow, uh, both split brows on each side got busted off, and he was still one seventy four after all that. But Jeez. yeah, I mean he's he's seventeen points. He's mainframe twelve. <laughs> I mean, it's just insane. He's got seven points mainframe points on one side. He doesn't have a lot of tine length. He's massy. He's got matching inside kickers that are six eight inches long. He's just insane. I mean, he's got split twos, split threes on one side. Sounds like a homie's seen multiple trail camp pictures. So he listens <laughs> to me talk. He talks about him all the time. But do you think that I so that late rut? season he is the last pictures i've got with him he was with a yearling doe so i feel in my mind he's trying to get that last available doe like a yearling doe coming in late so you think even though that he was an older buck with having all that broke off last year do you think me going in there in late season and being aggressive and like rattling in that area might pique his interest to come in there and maybe do some you know some estrus bleats with a little rattling to if he was that aggressive last year do you think another year is going to alter him enough that i would spook him instead of bring him in because i know a lot of people say i've never rattled in a mature buck you know but i have sure. on my piece so mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to pick your brain on that well i i'm probably not one to answer that question very well because i'm more conservative and hate to give away my position i'd rather go in there and sneak attack and take him by surprise on a normal movement than try to call. That's just me. Uh, I've like a lot of other people I've called and stuff before, you know, during November, late November, end of October and had decent luck with it. But usually they hang up 40, 50 yards down. Uh, they either get your circle and get your wind or something like that. The only time, and this is just personal preference. The only time I call, anymore is if i see a buck during the rut maybe on an out-of-state hunt or an in-state hunt that i'm at that i'm wanting to take and he's not going to come by me and that's when i'll blow some grunts at him maybe a snort wheeze or something maybe even rattle if i carry my antlers with me which i don't a lot uh and try to turn him because i know that the path he's taking is not going to lead him by my tree i i almost never go out and blind call anymore let's say just trying to call a deer in. But that's just me. I'm not saying it won't work for you. I just hate to give away my position. Yeah, so. now that you say that, I have noticed, you know, I have I have rattled in some very big deer. I mean, it, it, and, you know, just giants. But they've always hung up at 60, you know, yards. And, and you know, they, did the, they do, like, the head bob thing, trying to see if anything's over there. Um so, but I mean, the, a lot of young bucks they come right to your tree, you know, three and a half year olds, sure. n- nice deer. Uh, but I've never rattled in a deer and then shot him. Got the decoy. Yep. Uh, yeah, I got a decoy. I bought a decoy this year. I'm just trying to throw <laughs> out everything, man. I just got, I yep. got, I got, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to use that on him, though. I think that's too much. That area is too well, thick right there. It's just late season. What? Late season? Late November. It's too thick right People there. People yeah. every year. Giants are killed every year with somebody rattling, somebody blowing on a grunt call, or even using decoys. I just, my, I've had some friends that hung with decoys, and they've had some bad experiences. And and me, I've had bad experiences trying to blind call, trying to call a deer in. So I just, I try to. I'd rather, you know, stay silent, uh, don't give away my position, and hunt 
and then tear down if that doesn't work, maybe move around, manipulate that area a little different, catching on a different wind, set up and hunt another version set and try to take advantage of them. Yeah. I and mean, that's just me. I that's think what that's... works for me, but I'm, I don't want to discourage you from maybe trying that. But No, I think that's probably the best bet because, you know, I feel like I have a better chance because he was, he was on my property for 15 days or so. So if I mm-hmm. went in there and did something crazy and radical, he might be there for a day. When I could have, like you said, 15 days to make a move, you know, make a virgin set and try it out. But, like, in my mind, homie, like, that decoy is for, like, Mr. Maybe or Chaos. That four-and-a-half-year-old buck that's a stud Mm -hmm. that thinks he's, like, run-of-the-mill, you know, he thinks he's owning this place. And then you go in there. Me and homie picked up a place this year that hasn't been hunted for five years. And we got two really solid four and a half five-year-old deer that are living there in that home range and i feel like if we go in there and make a lot of noise that they haven't heard you know for five years and i have a decoy out there i feel like i can trick them bucks but mr freeze he's heard me rattle in that corner Uh he you know he's he's he knows i'm probably hunting there but what's what the most insane (laughs) thing was about this the trail cam picture i got so I'm, i'm able to hunt that day Right, so it, this isn't on a mobile cam. I go pull it, and I could have hunted that day. And I'm dig. I right when I get the trail cam pick, I'm like, oh my god, he's 15 yards from my stand. You know, nine in the morning with a yearling doe. He's probably <clears> there <throat> all morning. Why wasn't I in the stand? And it was on the exact opposite wind direction than I could possibly hunt that stand. I cannot hunt that stand in that wind direction. And that's when he's right there in daylight, just broadside 15 yards. But wow, for that quality, that class of buck you're talking about, I would look back at the, I would run cameras, I would scout there a little bit to see if his sign shows back up. I would just, I would jump in there. I would, I would have different areas picked out, and I would plan on, okay, I'm gonna hunt once here, and then I'm gonna tear down, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna hunt over here. You know, I would bounce around a little bit and try to take advantage of those virgin sets on that buck. But if if your cameras have showed you the last couple of years that he shows up, let's say on the 15th, then on the 15th, I'd be in there pounding it. Yeah. And I would be discreet about it. You know what I mean? I just wouldn't be a, you know, you gotta, you gotta hunt it right, but I would still, I, I would be in there on it and I would be hunting the best spot in there trying to take advantage of the wind the best I could. And maybe if there's a front coming in on the 16th, maybe I'd hunt the end of that front, you know, yeah. right afterwards. It just got- depends. I got some game plans, man. I, if you can't tell, I'm just I'm getting goosebumps <laughs> just thinking about getting in there and sure. get, getting after it, you know, because that's, that's what we do. We get a history with this thing. I mean, I got to hold the sheds, and the, I mean, I've, I know where he's living. I, I have, like, I feel like I got this buck so pegged, but I just can't finish it, you know what I mean? I'm just, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of that, to be straight up honest with you, is knowledge and skill level. I'm not at the, the level that I need to be to kill that caliber of deer. So that's why I want to learn because he seems like he's always outsmarting me, but I know where he lives, you know what I mean? And I just gotcha. can't finish the deal because there's there's a piece to the south of me, there's a piece to the north of me, and then there's my piece. And no one else has got any trail cam pictures of him anywhere around me, and it's heavily so hunted. He's, so he's just staying right there. He's well, He's within 200 acres. He's right, staying right there, you know. Well, some of the best advice the guy gave me just a couple of years ago was, uh, 
uh, you know, and like I said, you, you're trying to get all this experience and everything else. Do what you think's right, and don't be afraid and jump in there and do it. And if it doesn't happen, then back up, come up with another game plan, and go in there with the confidence that you're going to get it done. And don't be afraid of blowing it. Because, what I mean, if you blow it, you blow it. Just get in there and try to take advantage of it and get it done before the neighbor kills him, coyotes get him, who knows what. Because if you sit back and think, well, I don't want to hunt it because of I'm afraid of doing this or I'm afraid of doing that, you just got to get in there and do it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But if you sit back, you're never going to do it. Yeah. If I wish someone would have told me that last year. Because <laughs> now that I have the intel – I feel like I could have got it done, but now I'm positive. I'm going to go into it hardcore and, and chase this deer. Homie's going to get tired of me. It's going to be November 30th. He's going to be wore out, have two bucks on the ground, and I'm still going to be wanting him to film for me. Because <laughs> like, like I told homie, I said, we're a two-buck state. I shoot a 140, 150 with a bow, and a, and a 160 walks out. I'm passing. Homie thinks I'm crazy for it, but I got it. A 160 is the biggest deer I'd ever shoot yeah. with a bow. Yeah. Sure. And uh, I have, I got too much history with this deer. Uh, a buddy found the sheds while taking a youth turkey hunting. He said if I shot the deer, I could have the sheds. So I, whew, I gotta, I gotta finish the story. <laughs> you know, I can't just yeah. like if I, if I lost this property and knew that deer was still out there, it would just haunt me. It would just, Jeez. you know, if I can't hunt the property and then I knew this buck had been hunting for three years, still out there roaming around. Right past my where my old stands were, you know. <laughs> so. Well, so you're kind of in the dilemma right now, as I'm in every year because I hunt one particular buck, and that's basically what you're trying to do this year. Man, I get props uh, to you, man, because that would drive me insane <laughs> if I did that every it, year. It's, it's tough. It's tough, but like I said, if if my number one buck that I'm hunting, you know, disappears, and I give it till up to December, if he if he disappears towards the end of November or whatever, I can't. I can't get a sighting or a picture or whatever. I'll bounce over to start hunting a number two. You know what I mean? And another one that I'm, I'd like to have, you know, uh, and because you can't hunt a ghost. So, uh, you gotta, you gotta set your goal and then go with it. I, I try to stick with like this year, I'm going to stick with my number one till up till December. And if I, if he disappears for two or three weeks a month, then I may have to jump over and uh, start hunting another more huntable buck. Let's say. I will tell you that if, I cannot imagine the the satisfaction of shooting. Like, if you pick one deer and then you shoot that deer. Oh, it's got to be insane. God, it's got to be. Like, when you shoot, like, okay, you got a lot of bucks on cameras. You might know that buck, but then you shoot a buck, you know, a nice buck. You're like, okay, that that's good. But when you shoot a buck that you pick out at the beginning of the year, like, if I shoot Mr. Freeze... That reaction video is gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be like ESPN top ten quality. <laughs> You're gonna be able to hear me Rick Flaring in Ohio, man. I'm telling you. It's just the pure emotion that's gonna come out and that is gonna be and the storyline that I got, it's just uh, the work, man. It's just uh, I gotta that's all right. Yeah, there's I'm, definitely there's definitely more satisfaction of hunting a particular deer and killing it. And going out in November and just hoping to get a roamer, yeah, uh, you know, because you got so much more invested in, it. and hopefully the deer doesn't know you're after him. But uh, you know, if the deer knows you're after it, uh, it's uh, it's pretty. It's always a big shocker to them too when you're letting that arrow fly. Well, so. he's still there and he's still daylight, <laughs> so 
just gotta just gotta pray you don't know him after him yet. I've made some <laughs> mistakes, uh, but man, I don't I don't know. Lot, well, that's how you learn. Yeah, I mistakes. I appreciate you answering all these questions. You know, that's like I said, we we have this podcast to learn, and and you, you know, hunting the same buck for so many years, I knew that you could give me some good advice, and I think you gave me some solid advice. I need to go in there, you know, play it smart, but I need to risk it for the biscuit, homie. I need get aggressive, risk, yeah. I need to risk. Get it for aggressive the when you know you can. Unlike last year when I was like, I know where he's at, mm-hmm. but if I get in there. Okay, I know, I know within fifty. Okay, I know within twenty-five acres where he's at. Okay, right. yeah. I know within twenty, and then I know the direction he's going. But I don't. If I hunt here, I'm way safe. I'm like I'm hundred percent safe. He can't win me. And if he goes a little more to the east tonight, I got him. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. So, but this year I just need to go. Okay, he's right here. I know he's here. I'm gonna set up right you know, I'm gonna set up right on him. So man, I appreciate you, sure. Heath. I appreciate you listening sure. to me talk and, and giving us some knowledge. I appreciate you talking about the moon with us. Like I said, I think yeah. this is one of the most <laughs> informative episodes we've put out for for big bucks and uh targeting big deer and uh I can see my path as a whitetail hunter to one day I'm gonna be right where you're at where I'm just targeting one buck. And I'm gonna drive myself crazy until I shoot that one deer. So. Well, that's good. I, I used to have black hair. Now it's all gray. <laughs> I can see why. It wasn't from the wife or the kids. It was from right? that that one sixty one seventy you've just been chasing kept getting forever. Away. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but it's it's just fun, and that, like I ever said, everybody's got different goals, and I don't want to sound like I'm just something special because I'm hunting one deer. It's just a goal that I have and to each their own, you know. Yeah. I try to target the biggest buck and that's just that's what I do. Doesn't mean somebody else has to do it or if I think differently of everybody for not doing it. It's just to each their own. Yeah, that's what we say on this podcast all the time. You know, it's the beauty of hunting is you can hunt your own hunt. You know, yeah. and if one guy's doing something different than you, you know, it it doesn't matter make it wrong. It's just you got a different style, you know. I mean that's the sure. beauty of it. And then you can switch up styles. You can try random stuff, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. fun. It, it Look, said some of the best advice the guy gave me is, you know, if last year didn't work out the way you wanted it to, change things up and do it differently this year. And, you know, you just got to you gotta keep trying to grow and learn, and you can't sit back and hunt the same stands and think you're learning anything. You can have the same stands you've had on this piece of property, for the last five years and okay now you're going to hunt the weather fronts well they're the same stand so you need to move you need to i like bouncing around and hunting new spots uh virgin sets it's, in my opinion that's what it's all about so yep if you hunt something it ain't working don't think it's going to be different this year and right. just keep absolutely it, you know you got to figure absolutely keep learning keep moving keep figuring it out and then eventually you're going to have like i did a couple years ago on my lease you're going to have that Oh man, <laughs> this is how you do this. <laughs> I'm real good at shooting 140s. If they get above 140, I'm terrible at it. <laughs> That's what I tell people. If they're above a four and a half year old, just sign me out because I'm not there on my skill level yet. <laughs> I need a yeah, lot well, of luck. One of the pro- sure. Well, one of the problems is it's hard to find a five and a half year old. Yeah, I shot a like I that. shot a six and a half year old last year that I know for sure was six and a half, but he was only 139 inches. But Mm-hmm. That was one of my greatest accomplishments of deer hunting ever. I found a buck bed that I thought 
was this buck. I told homie, I said, I'm going to hang a stand here. He's going to hop the fence, and I'm going to shoot him at five yards. And that is exactly what happened. I don't know how that worked out, but it did. Yep. I got lucky. That's great. I got lucky, and now I'm like, okay, the same thing's going to happen this year, this right? This stand is money. <laughs> this year, well, <laughs> but. that six-and-a-half-year-old deer, just because he had a 130-inch buck, he was still six-and-a-half-year-old. So yeah. he could have been a 200, you know, yeah. so he there was, was no my, difference. He's my biggest body deer I've ever shot trail cam pictures off of him for a couple years just a giant man i just i was so happy to shoot that deer you know and uh how people people online look at the rack and tell me it's a two and a half year old so <laughs> everybody's got a different well. opinion on what's going on <laughs> so that's he, for sure Heath, yeah. you ever sent a jawbone in of any of the bucks you killed I mean no and, and like i said I, i'm guesstimating on these ages i don't get them official i don't get them you know, send them in and have them aged. I, I just guesstimate. And mm-hmm. a lot of times, uh, some of these bucks, like I killed one a few years ago, I knew he was six and a half, seven and a half, because I've, I've seen him for the last four years. Right. And I know he wasn't a, you know, I know he wasn't a two-year-old when I first seen him. So, but I, I think I'd be a good idea, you know, to yeah. send in like a tooth, I think, uh, to have it cross-sectioned and have it aged. That's what we're uh, going to start doing this year. Yeah. We're going to try to start, because... We've got some bucks on the highlight list that, you know, if we get them down, I mean, they're questionable if they're four and a half, five and a half. There's one, you know, might be five and a half, six and a half. And then Mr. Freeze, I yeah. mean. I, I should send you the picture of Mr. Freeze and just you let should. you look you at should. this deer. It's just, uh, it's early season in velvet. And he just, I mean, his, he doesn't even like, he just looks like He looks fat, like he's about and, mid-October. Yeah, he just looks nasty. And it's you know July. I mean? Yeah, just. It's so, insane. yeah, well, I think that's one thing we're going to do. And then we got a couple of does on this new piece that we picked up that hasn't been a hunter for five years. And they're just uh-huh. absolutely giant. Yeah. So we want to send in a, do- a doe jaw. A doe jaw. If we, see, if we get one of these giant does down. See what, see what we get there. We're real interested. Like I said, we want to learn. You know, we love when guys like you come on and, and talk to us because we soak it up because that's our goal for this is we want to learn. And if anybody can... Be entertained by our our personalities <laughs> and the way we the way we you know promote ourselves and then learn something on the end. I mean that's that's just a bonus for us. And like I said, we save all these and we get to listen to them. And just like you were saying, if you would have known what you known when you were twenty hunting now, you know what I mean. So I told yeah. homie, I said we got I got an almost three year old. He's got a two year old. I said our sons will have this podcast to dig back into when they're 16, 17, when they want to start really hardcore hunting, you know, the amount of knowledge that people are going to be able to give them from this podcast is going to be insane. You know what I mean? Just like with you guys filming, the amount of knowledge that people are going to be able to gain 10, 15 years from now with you guys showing the misses, showing why you're hunting in this area, it's, it's insane to think of how many people are going to, watch that video and either get motivated or learn something. So with that being yeah. said, go ahead. And yeah, we can all learn something. That's for sure. Yeah. Go ahead and tell the people where they can find your video at. And, uh, if they want to reach out to the learning curve where they can do that also. Uh, sure. Uh, our, uh, we have, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and it's called the learning curve outdoor web series. And please look us up. My episode just came out last week. We have uh, three or four other episodes, deer hunting episodes, and we have some turkeys, and we still have some 
more hunts coming out uh, this fall. And uh, like I said, we're just a, a group of a small group of guys who mainly self video and we love telling our story and trying to uh, share some knowledge. And that's why it's called the learning curve because we're all learning this uh, whitetail game together. So uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah. We can't thank you enough for your time, man. Uh, check out the learning curve. I've uh, fallen in love with how they film, how they tell stories, how they teach, how they don't hold anything back. And they tell, you know, they tell the truth. They tell what really happens. Uh, I can relate to it huge, so I know a lot of our listeners can relate to it. Um, big shout out to you for for teaching us and, and spending a little time with a couple of Illinois boys. So, <laughs> well, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Man, this episode just get me jacked for the <laughs> rut. I mean, it does. It, those big deer. Uh, check out his video. Uh, the hunt that he describes in this is all on the learning curve. You can watch the whole entire thing. You can watch Heat's whole entire season. Um, I learned stuff from that. I learned stuff from talking to Heath. Um, I hope we made a good friend that uh, we can we can meet up with and learn more and, and talk more with. Or just ask him a question, be like, hey, you know, yeah. we got this moon. You know, what do you think about it? Yeah. So Because, I, I mean, I think it's going to be something that you're going to have to watch and apply over time. To learn. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, just say, hey, Heath, I'm seeing this. You know, what do you, what do you think about it? Yeah, one thing that I want to mention at the end of this is if there's someone out there that's listening to podcasts and they're just like him, you know, they're hunting, but they're not being successful on big deer. Well, and shout out to Heath. He completely changed the way he hunted, he said. He completely switched everything that he'd known before and then went a completely different route, and it's been super successful to him now, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I know me and Homie, we were just talking – we looked down and we were like 50 minutes deep and we we're like, oh my gosh, it feels like it's been 10 minutes, you know, but we were 50 minutes deep on the, and we'd already had him on the phone for 20 minutes right. or so before we recorded. <laughs> so we, Getting uh, the good stuff. we didn't get everything out of Heath, not even close, yeah. but, uh, we, we want to keep these, you know, around an hour and a half hour for you guys. And, uh, sometimes when it's good, we just go a little longer. I say, if you see a long one come up on the screen. There's some white tail knowledge. Yeah, in that. you know yeah. something's coming out that's yeah. gonna be pretty decent. So all right guys. Get out there, hunt, have some fun, make some memories, try to leave a legacy, and white tail legacy out.